0: It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, February 15th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. On the heels of Diane Feinstein's retirement announcement, the California report looks back at the U.S. senator's political legacy. We'll take a look at your weather before we jump into the subject of tonight's newscast. California's new rooftop solar subsidy cuts. It's a complicated topic, but Martin Webb, producer and host of the Climate Report on KVMR, is here to walk us step-by-step through what the California Public Utilities Commission's new rules actually mean. We close with a commentary on these hotly contested new solar rules.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Dianne Feinstein has been a U.S. Senator from California for three decades. And before that, she was already a powerful figure in San Francisco politics, including serving as mayor. So the announcement that Feinstein is retiring from office at the end of her current Senate term really does mark the end of an era in California politics and governance. KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer has this look at Feinstein's political life and her legacy.
2: Early in her career, Diane Feinstein thought about quitting politics, but her dramatic announcement in 1978 changed everything.
0: Both Mayor Moscone
2: and Supervisor Harvey Milk have been shot and killed. Oh, Jesus Christ! Feinstein became mayor and served for nearly a decade, governing from the center and steering the city through crises, including the AIDS epidemic, which the Reagan administration pretty much ignored. Paul Volberding was a young AIDS doctor in the mid-80s. He often briefed the mayor on what was needed.
3: I don't recall any moment in the early epidemic when I was told, no, we can't do that because we don't have the resources. And that really goes to her leadership and a great credit to her.
2: In 1990, Feinstein fell short in a run for governor, but two years later she got elected to the U.S. Senate, becoming the first woman to serve on the Judiciary Committee after a panel of all-white men questioned Anita Hill's allegation that Clarence Thomas sexually harassed her. Feinstein became known as a workhorse, a senator who did the heavy lifting on substantive issues. Former Senator Barbara Boxer recalls that in 1994, Feinstein helped lead the charge to pass an assault weapons ban. Against all odds, she found the 60 votes to defeat a Republican filibuster.
3: We never gave up, and she was, you know, the force behind it,
2: without a doubt. It was one of her biggest accomplishments. But getting the 60 votes required adding a sunset clause. So the law expired after 10 years and hasn't been renewed. In those early years, Boxer recalls how tough it was to get federal funding for California.
3: When Diane and I came into the Senate, there was an expression ABC, anybody but California. The colleagues thought that we were the golden state in the sense that we had no problems, right? They said, Oh, you've got the entertainment industry, you've got the tech industry, you've got all the defense bases, etc.
2: A pragmatic, no-nonsense Democrat, Senator Feinstein often worked across the aisle, winning support for her causes and co-sponsoring bills with Republican senators. In 2014, as the ranking Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, she shepherded through a comprehensive investigation into torture of prisoners by the CIA after 9-11. Releasing this report is an important step to restore our values and show the world that we are, in fact, a just and lawful society. Tom Blanton, who heads the National Security Archive at George Washington University, says the investigation under Feinstein's direction held the intelligence community accountable. I think the Senate torture report was probably the high
4: point of Senator Feinstein's entire Senate career.
2: Feinstein also racked up an impressive array of environmental wins, like sponsoring the California Desert Protection Act, which preserved the Mojave Desert and Joshua Tree National Park. Feinstein was seen by some on the left as too conservative, supporting the death penalty and resisting an end to the Senate filibuster. But Democratic consultant Deb Meslow says Feinstein's bipartisanship will stand the test of time.
0: You know, I think at the end of the day, she's a pragmatist. And maybe she seemed too moderate, you know, for some people's taste. But I think that she always has been about getting things done.
2: Many Democrats wanted Feinstein to retire in 2018. But as she said in a C-SPAN interview years earlier, she was driven to public service. You have to be a little bit like the Phoenix You have to come back from your losses. You have to rise from your own ashes. And you have to really care that the government serves the people. And I really believe that to my depth. Pundits may say Feinstein stayed too long in the Senate or was too moderate for her party. But history will likely remember her as a groundbreaker who took political risks to get big things done. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer in San Francisco.
1: A statement from Feinstein's office says she'll spend the remainder of her term working on wildfires and drought, improving access to health care and fighting gun violence. San Mateo County will set aside $750,000 to help house farm workers displaced by last month's mass shooting in Half Moon Bay. County supervisors voted unanimously Tuesday to use funds from the Federal American Rescue Act to help 19 families with emergency rehousing and other assistance. Victoria Sanchez de Alba is a community leader and former farm worker.
0: We have to do something, but I also hope that you will go even further. Our farm workers in Half Moon Bay and in San Mateo County need higher pay, more mental health access, and a greater social safety net.
1: The San Mateo County Supervisor's vote comes on the heels of this week's announcement that a new task force is being formed in the county to promote better housing for workers living on farms. Officials say that lodging is often unpermitted, crowded, and unsanitary.
2: Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at schmidtfutures.com.
1: Finally, in a state full of natural wonders, one of the most spectacular sights is happening now at Yosemite National Park. It's Firefall. It occurs every February at the park's horsetail waterfall, which cascades off of El Capitan. Here's park ranger Jamie Richards explaining Firefall in a park video.
0: During the middle two to three weeks of February, you can actually see the sunset as it glows on the side of El Capitan, it lights up that waterfall channel and it makes horsetail fall glow and look like it's on fire
1: but the effect lasts for just a few precious minutes. If you want to see firefall for yourself on the weekends, you'll need to make reservations to enter Yosemite. And remember, for firefall to happen, conditions have to be just right. A sky with few clouds and the late afternoon light is essential. Nature doesn't guarantee eye candy. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, February 15th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and let's talk tomorrow.
0: Let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 29 degrees. Thursday, increasing clouds with a high near 50. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 6 degrees. Thursday, partly sunny with a high near 36. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, areas of frost between 1 and 3 a.m., otherwise mostly clear with a low around 32. Thursday, widespread frost between 7 and 9 a.m., otherwise partly sunny with a high near 57 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. On December 15, 2022, the California Public Utilities Commission, the CPUC, passed NEM 3.0, a new solar billing plan that will change the value of solar for those connected to the grid. While current solar owners will remain under existing rules, new owners unless grandfathered into NEM 2.0 by submitting an interconnection application by April 14th of this year, we'll find the economics different than today, requiring batteries with every system. KVMR's Martin Webb explains.
4: Let's talk about the late 1990s when the first net energy metering laws known by the acronym NEM, with the reference being to when you have a solar system, you're utility meter will spin backwards and forwards, and you'll be billed for the net amount that it moves forward. So the first NEM laws were being passed in the nation. California passed theirs in 1997. And what was unique about it is unlike some states where the value of your solar when the meter is spinning backwards is pegged to wholesale power rates, in California, we elected to pass a law that said solar power when the meter spins backwards must be valued at full retail rates. Now we happen to also have some of the highest rates in the nation along with good sun. So this NEM law really made solar take off leading to one and a half million solar installations with over 12 billion watts of capacity. That's 12,000 megawatts of customer side solar. That's not the utility fields. That's just the customers here in California. Now, some have asked if these new rule changes are part of some sort of corporate corruption and some sort of nefarious deal with PG&E and the CPUC, but it's worth looking at it from just a purely logical market perspective. California solar laws are in effect like this. Imagine that you really like apples and you eat apples every single day. And you buy apples every day from the supermarket. They buy their apples from an apple provider. They pay wholesale prices for those apples. They mark them up. They sell them to you at a retail price. You spend $1,000 a year buying apples. And one day, you decide that you would like to build an orchard in your backyard and grow your own apples. You save yourself $1,000 a year of retail prices for apples so that even if that orchard costs $10,000 to install, it's gonna pay for itself in 10 years or less with the rising price of apples. That all tends to make sense so far, but what happens when you have too many apples? Now, logic would say that you'd approach the store you used to buy them at at full retail value and say, I have some extra apples now, I used to buy them from you, but now I'd like to sell them to you. And we might expect that the store would say one of two things. Either, we're not interested in your apples, thanks, we have plenty. Or you might expect them to say, we'd like to buy your apples, some or all of them, and here's our wholesale price. Now, in California, the solar laws say that the store not only must buy your solar apples, but they must give you full retail price for them. That, of course, would seem illogical in a normal marketplace. That's what the utilities have been fighting against, so that even though Republican and Democratic governors alike have been supporting solar, including Governor Schwarzenegger, who made it a goal to have one million solar installations in the state, the utilities have been fighting against this arrangement tooth and nail for a long time. In 2016, the CPUC voted to enact what was called NEM 2.0, where they did levy some new fees and make some changes that raised the minimum bill someone could achieve with solar. You can't ever have a zero bill. There are going to be some fees in order to pay for the infrastructure that handles your solar power. And in 2016, the CPUC made it very clear, this is an interim decision, and in five years, we'll be back to talk about NEM 3.0. So, in effect, what just happened this last December is the CPUC made good on their promises, and they have now made adjustments so that when the meter spins backwards with a homeowner's solar system, it will no longer be valued at arm and leg prices that they charge us at. It will be valued at wholesale prices. The reason for this, curiously enough, is... California actually has a bit too much solar during the daytime. So that comes sunset every day, 12 billion watts of solar systems turn off right when everyone's turning things on. So the CPUC made it clear that going forward, after mid-April, any solar systems that sign up will be under a new set of rules that will incentivize installing batteries with every solar system so that you keep your apples at home And you don't sell them at wholesale prices, you sell them at really good rates at sunset every day. Now, to go along with this expected increase in system price for solar plus batteries, the state has said that they will be enacting a new $900 million battery incentive program to be rolled out in July later this year. That's almost $1 billion of incentives for homeowners to get batteries Well, we talked to three local companies and asked them about this rule change and what the impacts and effects might be. This is Martin Webb with the KVMR News, and I'm joined with Ray Byers Jr., President and CEO of Byers Enterprises, to talk about the recent CPUC decision. Ray, what is your description of what exactly just happened at the CPUC?
5: So we've been watching this for quite a while, and it's been wild to watch. Uh, You're seeing a lot of different things happen over at the Public Utilities Commission to where they're really trying to devalue solar.
4: So with these new regulation changes, what are the primary impacts for property owners that um, they're going to want to add batteries to their system? Are there any other things that might impact um, someone that's looking at going solar now versus after these rules take place?
5: Yeah, so going solar today, uh, we, we basically have our deadline. April 14th is what we're looking at, to where we need to have all of our paperwork submitted to PG&E. Um, and what I mean by paperwork, we have to fill out these forms. Form A is is one of the forms that we have to have submitted to them, basically about the, the new solar-sized array going on the property. Um, We still do have our solar tax credit, which is a 30% federal tax credit that was extended. um, And we do see that for really the next decade. Um, So that that part's awesome.
4: He also talked about how it may affect early adopters of older solar systems.
5: Folks that uh, have those older solar arrays, you may want to think about updating that solar array to get you that next 20 years um, before April 14th.
4: I'm sitting here with Brian Gardner, the president and CEO of longtime local solar contractors Sustainable Energy Group, or SEG. Do these new rules seem to encourage and incentivize people making sure that they add batteries to their solar installations, which typically hasn't been the case?
1: The economics will shift to batteries uh, being combined with solar systems, because if you can just produce your own power and then use your own power from your own batteries on site behind the meter, you're not buying power from PG&E anymore. So where it used to be export as much as possible to the grid so you could get your credits and offset your electricity bills, now it's going to be more produce the power you need, keep it on site, store it in your batteries, and then use your batteries when the sun isn't out.
4: I'm sitting with Sean Burr, the president and CEO of local solar contractors, Pioneer Solar. What are the actual deadlines? You've mentioned April 14th as a deadline. That doesn't necessarily mean that people have to have their systems installed by then. It sounds like it's just paperwork into PG&E. Is that correct? Um, I'm happy that the deadline is April 14th, that the system doesn't have to be installed. So that's confirmed now. So you have to pick your solar company you want to work with. You have to sign a contract with them. They have to come out and do a site survey. They have to do electrical line diagram. There's, you know, uh, consumer protection guides and other things that need to be reviewed and signed. And it still takes some time, especially now that everybody wants solar before the deadline. So don't wait just because you don't need your solar installed before the April 14th deadline. But you do need to work with a solar company, and there's a lot of steps and paperwork, and we're getting booked out. Even getting a site survey now is usually in a few business days, but now that's taking two or three weeks. And you also need time to make a decision for yourself if solar works for you. This is Martin Webb for KVMR News.
0: Martin Webb is the producer and host of The Climate Report on KVMR, which airs the second and fourth Thursday of every month at 6.30 p.m. Tune in on February 23rd when Martin dives further into detail about the story you just heard, including more from Martin's interviews with Ray Byers Jr., Brian Gardner, and Sean Burr. Sticking with the same subject, we close tonight with a commentary. The state's utility regulator has provoked ire from solar groups who say the decision is counterproductive to California's goal of supplying the grid with 100% clean energy by 2045. A local perspective in the commentary, up next.
3: Hi, this is Reed Hamilton speaking for the Nevada County Energy Action Plan Working Group. Have you been thinking about installing a solar system on your home or business? It's time to think fast. The California Public Utilities Commission passed new rules in late 2022 that change the amount you'll get paid for electricity from your solar system that you send back to the grid. That will change the amount of time it takes for the solar system to pay for itself. For existing solar system owners, PG&E pays you for excess electricity from your system at the same rate they charge you for electricity. This occurs once you reach a so-called baseline usage that's calculated for your area. So in the winter, your electricity usage will probably exceed the system production, but as you move towards summer, your system will produce more power than you need and you can get a one-for-one credit for that excess power. At the end of the billing year, you get a true-up statement that shows whether you owe anything besides basic transmission cost charges. Under the so-called Net Energy Metering 3.0 rules recently adopted, PG&E will only pay an average of $0.08 per kilowatt hour versus 30% under the old system for your excess power. There will still be a 30% federal tax credit against installation costs, but solar industry experts say that the payback period for a system will go from about 4.5 years to as much as 9, depending on how the system is financed. Owners of existing systems will be grandfathered in and will not be affected by the new rules. There are also new rules regarding battery storage connected to solar. In addition to the federal tax credit, There will be new funding through the state's Self-Generation Incentive Program, or s to encourage battery installations. Batteries in conjunction with solar systems allow owners to store excess power during the peak of the day and sell it back to PG&E at maximum rates during the high-demand hours in the late afternoon and evening and also provides backup power during an outage. Estimates suggest that the payback for a solar plus battery system will be about the same as the solar system alone, though the battery will add $10,000 or more to the cost. Owners of existing systems will also be eligible for battery incentives through SGIP. If you want to go solar, get on the phone now to explore costs and options. Besides buying a system outright, there are leasing programs that allow one to get a system without the big upfront costs. As long as your installer has gotten an approved interconnection agreement by April 2023, you can qualify for the currently existing PG&E rate structure. Installers are emphasizing getting applications in a month ahead of the deadline. When shopping, consider carefully the reliability of the company. There are a number of local companies with long track records of great service, and your business supports local jobs. Thank you.
2: The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only, and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors.
0: That's our newscast for February fifteenth, 2023. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties and San Francisco to Lake Tahoe, milkmancompany.com, and Nevada County Citizens for Choice promoting reproductive justice and equitable reproductive health care access, advocacy, education with compassionate services for women, men, and teens. Learn more at citizensforchoice.org. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Thursday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.